Bonk the Devil, our line. Uh, thanks, Julie. Thanks, Jimmy and Phil and Grayson. It's great to be with you. My name is Steve Thomas, the lead pastor here at the First Baptist Church of Delray Beach, and this is Austin. How are you doing, man? Good. Good to see you. And that's Alden. Well, this is quite a day. Today we begin a new series in the book of Genesis. It's called Designed for Dominion. I'm so glad you're here for this first day of this series. As you know, if you've been with us, we preach through major sections of Scripture, and we try to make sure we don't miss what God is saying by simply picking and choosing what we'd like to talk about. We want to talk about what God's Word says, and so that's why we're intentional about doing this. Excited about this series. Um, when you think about picking up the Word of God, sometimes people pick it up and they actually start at the beginning. Genesis 1-1, well, that's what we're going to be doing today as we consider how God created the heavens and the earth. You know, origins matter, but some origins matter more than others, don't they? I mean, you may be one of those people who really want to know all about your family tree. Who are my people? Where do they come from? And you may have done 23andMe or Ancestry.com and looked back in to find out all of your ancestors and the wonderful things that they did and, and how they got hung for being a horse thief and how they might have gotten all kinds of other trouble. You know, that's, what, that's the thing. I agree with the comedian who said, you know what, you already know all the good stuff about your family because your family has been embellishing those stories for years, right? Hey, we might be related to Daniel Boone. You know those stories. It's the bad stories you don't know. So I don't know. I like, I, like, I like my genealogy. I do like to know about my family history, but it's, it's not really crucial to my daily life. You know, maybe you like to look back and think about, okay, where's my hometown? And maybe this, this isn't your hometown. You, you go to your hometown and you kind of feel more like yourself. You know, you feel like that. You, you go home and you're like, ah, this is, these are my people. And then after a few days, you're like, I'm tired of my people. And you go back to Florida, where all the wonderful people are today. On September 10th in Delray Beach, Florida. But you know, your upbringing does matter. Your parents matter. Did they give you a good start? Was it a good home? Did you have a dad that cared for you, a mother that loved you? And maybe they gave, had the money to give you a good start in life, and you're grateful for that, and you should be. However, you got to know that I know people who had great starts in life who finished terrible, who had a, had, a, had a lot of money and finished with nothing. I know people who started with nothing and did amazing things. And so those kinds of origins, they do matter, but, you know, they don't, not completely. Today we're going to talk about an origin that really matters. Who created us? Who is God? Is there a God? And if he created me, how do I relate to him? And what is he like? Well, that's what we're talking about in Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. And I would encourage you, if you have a, uh, a Bible with you, if you have a device, to open that. It's always good to be reading from something you would normally read from. We do have the verses on the screen. But I want to make sure that we're, we understand we preach from the word of God. And uh, that's what we're doing today. Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In the beginning, God. I just have to pause there. In the beginning, God. 
God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. In the beginning, God. And you start there with the biblical narrative that really explains who God is. That's what this book is about, listen. Incidentally, this is what the whole Bible is about. This is the foundation of who God is, and it starts in Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it's really interesting that at this point, we see God the Father, we see God the Spirit hovering over the surface of the deep, and in a moment, we're going to see the Word of God going forth. And if you know your New Testament and you're familiar with John chapter 1, it begins in a very similar way. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The Bible is always the best commentary on itself. Um, provides insights into what God is doing, what he's saying, who was where. This verse tells us that Jesus was there at the beginning. He's not junior God, right? He's not some lesser God. He is made of the same stuff as God. The Trinity is a three-person Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Jesus Christ is absolutely God, and he's absolutely involved in every act of creation as God speaks the word of creation into existence. This opening statement tells us that God created everything out of nothing. It's what theologians call ex nihilo, which means out of nothing. God created everything out of nothing. He is an amazing and awesome God. He is the source of all things. You might say, well, Steve, you know, many people say today, how can I know there is a God? How can I know that? You know, in school, I really learned that everything came from some kind of a cosmic explosion and that life evolved from uh, one, uh, one cell at the very beginning. Some primordial ooze created this and it just kind of all happened. How can I know that? Well, I want to talk about four ways that really you can understand and support that God does exist. And uh, this comes from Paul in Romans chapter 1, verse 19, as Paul talks about what we call general, general revelation. General revelation. There is general revelation that when you walk on the beach and you look at the incredible sunset and you see the waves and you see the incredible nature, when you walk through the woods or when you go to uh, when you go to the Everglades and you see the incredible wildlife God created, that's what we call general revelation. It's hard to miss God's revelation. Here's what Paul says about it, Romans chapter 1. He says, for what can be known about God is plain to them. He's talking about people who reject God. What can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. 
claiming to be wise, they became fools. God has made himself known, and there's four ways to see this. In J.D. Greer's book, Essential Christianity, and I urge you to read that. Our young adults are reading that right now, and he, he really does a great job of summarizing really four ways you can support the existence of God. First is the cosmological fingerprint. He says, few things are more obvious than nothing times nobody can't equal everything. Zero times zero always ends up as zero. Never the Alcyonius uh, galaxy and the human DNA cell. The point is that you don't walk up to a work of art like the Sistine Chapel, the Taj Mahal, or the works of Shakespeare and assume that they're a lucky outcome of a fortuitous accident. You assume instinctively that there is a designer, right? You don't find a Rolex on the beach and go, wow, that just kind of happened there. Isn't that amazing that, that all those accidents came together to make this watch? And But creation is so much more intricate than a Rolex watch or an iPhone. You don't find an iPhone and go, oh, it just happened here. It just, just never could possibly happen that way. Second is the teleological fingerprint. Greer says our cosmos at least looks like it was designed. And more than that, it was designed for us. From the composition of the gases in our atmosphere that have to be exactly the right percentages in order for human life to exist, to the fact that the Earth's axis is tilted at 23 and a half degrees and many other things have to be exactly right for human life to exist. It was designed, and not only was it was designed, but it was designed for life, for human life to exist on this planet. For it to happen just by chance is ridiculously unlikely. The odds are incredibly small. In fact, I love this quote from John Lennox. The Oxford University mathematician John Lennox said that the survival of our ecosystem, the likelihood of its survival, is like a marksman hitting a coin at the far side of the observable universe, 20 billion light years away. That's how unlikely it is that this could ever happen on its own. And it's really hard to rationally get there, right? To say, this is what I think. I think all this just happened, and all this just, just came about on its own. It's, you almost have to have a reason to want to believe that, don't you? Greer says, it seems to me that to arrive at that conclusion requires a compelling reason to want to believe it. It's really not looking at the evidence. It's saying, I want to believe this, and I'm going to find a way to believe it. Thirdly, there's the moral fingerprint. You and I have a moral compass that's found nowhere else in the animal world. People wonder, where does this come from? How do I know this? Where, where do I get this right and wrong within me? The Bible answer, Bible's answer is that it's a moral sense that it comes from God who has set our world up with right and wrong and who has stamped his image on our heart. You have within you even if you haven't been listening to it very much, you have a moral sense of right and wrong. This is right, this is wrong, and we all kind of, sometimes we float in different ways, but there always is this moral sense, isn't there? The animal world doesn't have that. A shark doesn't consider, is it the right thing to bite you? A shark's just thinking about survival. 
There is no moral sense in the animal kingdom. It only exists in humans, in human nature. It's something that God has stamped on each of us. Then fourthly, there's the desire says quite simply we find in ourselves yearnings for things beyond the material world we long for love for matter for significance we don't like the idea that one day we will simply cease to exist there is something in us that says i want more i, I there's this, this world cannot meet all of my desires it can't fill all of my needs i love the way c.s lewis addresses this he says If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy, but only to arouse us, to suggest the real thing. We all desire something This earth can never satisfy all of our needs. As we often say, this earth is not heaven. We look forward to a new heaven and a new earth. And that desire has been placed in us by our creator. So God has revealed himself in creation. What was that creation? Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Consider these words that Moses provided for us about the creation of the world. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. Notice that God speaks this. It's the word of God that actually is the creation, does the creating. Verse 6, and God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven and there was evening, there was morning, the second day. This was to me the most confusing part of creation. What is an expanse? In the original, in the uh, King James, it's permanent. It's no one knows what a permanent is. Uh, I still don't know what it is. Basically, this is the atmosphere. And God separated the moisture in the air from the moisture that's on the earth, and he created the atmosphere that we enjoy today. And God, um, okay, verse 9. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land South Florida, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. We don't really care about anything but what's right here. Praise God for South Florida. Amen? Um, And the rest of the world as well, right? God saw that it was good. Verse 11, God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing mangoes, and fruit in their seed, and um, bananas and all I'm just adding to this but I want you to understand God created this incredible earth and all the vegetation and according to its kind on the earth and it was so verse 12 and God and the earth brought forth vegetation plants yielding seed according to their own kinds and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed according to its kind and God saw that it was good 
in the evening, it was morning, the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heaven to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser night to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and for the moon to come out of the ocean one time a month. So it was night. God, God made the heavens and the earth and he made the moon and the stars. And there was evening, morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the water swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. And so God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters of the sea. Let the birds multiply on earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. Let's pause. Let's let's consider something here. Now, so we got five days of creation. We're up to the point where God's going to create uh, the earth creatures and man. What pattern do you see? There was evening and there was morning the first day. There was evening and morning the second day, the third day, the fourth day, the fifth day, the sixth day. And so the first question that a lot of people ask, well, is this a six-day creation? Is it actual 24-hour days? How could that be? How could it be that God could do that? He could just create light. And, and then how could there be days if there wasn't any sun yet? The first three days, the sun hasn't even been created yet. How could there be light? God said, let there be light. See, God can speak into existence anything that he wants. He doesn't really need the sun or the moon. He is the light. And I love how Revelation 22 speaks of the new heaven and the new earth. When God creates the ultimate place for us. Look at Revelation 22.5, it says, And night will be no more. They will need no, lamp, no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. See, God has the ability to provide light. And God will be the light also. There will be no sun or moon. So that doesn't say that there can't be six 24-hour days. Some will say, you know, Steve, that means that it's going to be a young earth. You're you're telling me this kind of backwards Christian view that the earth is really only 6,000 years old. How could that be? It doesn't fit the data I learned in school. Okay. Others might say, you know what, I don't even believe in science. When science says it has to be older than that, I I don't believe in science. I don't think that's right. Uh, Science has has made up a lot of stuff over the years, and I, I hear you. But there's some really good science I'm pretty grateful for science that says Hurricane Lee is going to turn before it wipes us off the face of the earth. Aren't you grateful for that? See, science is great when it's observable, when it's when you can actually go back and look at something. You can see out there if you sail due east right now, you're going to get into a world of hurt. You can see it. When science is observable, it's very valuable. But also know this. That science has actually benefited the church historically. See, back in the day, they believed that the earth, that the sun went around the earth. The church was very strong about that, especially from verses like Psalm 19.6, where the sun seems to go around and run around and come back the next day. And the the, the church took that literally until a guy named Copernicus came along 
And then Galileo Galilei came along and said, Copernicus is right, which means that there's a heliocentric universe. It's, it's not just about the earth being the center of everything. And it says the, he said that the earth goes around the sun. The church actually put Galileo on trial and convicted him of heresy. So where Galileo wound up spending the rest of his life on house arrest because he believed that the earth went around the sun. I think most of us agree that the earth does go around the sun. And I think if we look at that and we say that science actually proves a greater God than we had understanding of. Because now it's not just about the sun going around the earth, it's about the earth going around the sun and a bunch of other planets and a bunch of other galaxies that are more than we could possibly count as we look through the Hubble telescope. That science gives us a greater God than the God we have now. So science can give us some hope, and we can start reading words like Psalm 19.6 to say, you know, from our perspective, the sun does pop out of the constellation every now and then, and it does run around and come back the other way, but that doesn't, that's not an astrological statement, but astronomical, excuse me, astronomical statement. It's just a statement of observation. You say, well, I, don't, I can't believe this, this young earth theory because of all these, uh, like the Grand Canyon, you know, it looks like it took millions of years to carve the Grand Canyon, and therefore I can't believe that the earth is this young, and I'm like, well, okay, but you know, back 43 years ago, Mount St. Helens uh, erupted and poured lava all over the place, and if you go visit the area today, there has been rapid erosion, and if you look at that area, it looks like that those canyons that have been built there took millions of years, and actually they took less than 43 years. You see, the earth isn't the same earth as it was in the beginning, and we'll, we'll talk about this more when we talk about Noah and the flood. When God created the earth, there was no rain. The earth was much more soft, and there was a mist that went up to water the earth, and so when Noah's flood happened, there was rapid erosion and rapid sedimentation. And so what happens is things like the Grand Canyon could have happened a lot faster than people think. There are books and many, many videos about this. I just want to encourage you to consider the fact that maybe God's word tells us more than we think it does. Maybe God's word could be accurate. There's a great documentary called Is Genesis History that goes into great detail on this. And some will say, well, you know, when it says day, the Bible means a lot of things about day. It means could mean a 24-hour period. It could mean of era, an era, like the day of the Lord. How do we know that in this context that it means a 24-hour day? And um, I hear you. But understand this. If it says the evening and morning was the first day, the second day, the third day, the fourth day, sixth day, evening and morning and the number of days always means in Scripture that it's a 24-hour day. The text speaks to it as a 24-hour day. You say, well, doesn't it say in 2 Peter 3 that um, a day to the Lord is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a... It does, but that's really in that context. It's talking about how God is patient. It's not talking about creation. It does not talk about evening and morning, third day, and it's also in another language. It's, it is not talking about this. And as Ken Ham, the creationist, would say, Every other section of scripture and every other place in the Old Testament, we know what the, a day means based on the context. And 
Bible says that Joshua led the children of Israel to surround Jericho for seven days. We know those were seven days. It wasn't 7,000 years or 7,000 days. It says very clearly, Joshua led the children of Israel around Jericho seven days. We know it's just seven actual days. So I would tell you to consider that the days could have been 20 days. We serve a great and awesome and powerful God. Perhaps the best commentary on, the, on this 24-hour day question is from Exodus 20 and the Ten Commandments. When God is talking about the Sabbath day, which we'll be talking about next Sunday, we'll be talking about rest, Sabbath rest. And if you need rest, come. If you haven't rested, please come. Everybody needs to come because this is a very, very important concept for believers. But in Exodus 20, 11, God's word says, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Here's what he's saying. God made everything in six days, and he rested on the seventh. So no matter how busy you are, no matter how much you've accomplished, you didn't accomplish all that God created in the six days that he accomplished it. You need to rest on the seventh day. didn't do it in thousands of years otherwise you'd be resting for thousands of years that's kind of the point you know i do believe to consider this as six 24-hour days but listen this is not a deal breaker if you disagree with me I, i would ask for you to give me grace and i'll give you grace this is not a first order theological issue first order theological issues are things that are deal breakers they said that can somehow undercut the gospel. It's all about Jesus. That's why our, our whole mission, right, is make Jesus known. You can believe in a long creation if you want to. As long as you believe in Jesus, we're brothers, right? We're sisters. Don't get don't start making fun of people who don't think this, or don't start making or making fun of me because you disagree. That's all right. That's all right. It really is. There are amazing, amazing, godly, humble conservative theologians who disagree with me. It's all right. It's all right. We need to love each other. We need to encourage one another. We don't need to get bound up in questions that don't affect the the gospel message. It is an important question, but it is not a deal-breaking question. So now we come to really the crowning achievement, the climax of creation. If God creates the animal, and then he creates his ultimate creation, humans. Verse 24. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And then... God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his image in the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them and God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. 
God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the earth, of all the earth and all the trees and the seed in its, in its fruit, and you shall have them for food. To every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heaven and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw that everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and morning, the sixth day. God created you. God created human life, and he gave it dominion over his creation. The name of this series is Design for Dominion, and we're going to unpack this really for the next several months, and especially this next Wednesday night. Please don't miss Wednesday night, Heart and Soul, 630. It's going to be a great time to understand where we're going and why this matters. You were created for dominion. You were designed for dominion. God created humans, and he created them male and female, and he created them in his own image. Now, when I was a kid, I thought, you know what? So God looks like me? That's pretty cool. That's not really what it means. It kind of does, but it really means something far deeper and far more important. Theologians call it the Imago Dei, means the image of God or the standard bearer it's it this is the image bearer this is who God is this is God's representative and my dear friend Jimmy Scroggins of Family Church in West Palm Beach really did a great job of summarizing the commentaries on this and what this means the Imago Dei means that humans are unique human life is special it's unique no other creature has been given the image of God. Many of you have dogs or cats that you think have human characteristics. Don't shake your head because I know that's true. I've seen you in the mall and right, walking down the street and you think, oh, let me see your baby. And it's actually an animal. And you're thinking, I don't know about that. Um, it's okay. I know that they treat you better than most humans. Well, that's why we have pets, because they have to love you. Well, cats don't, but dogs do, right? They have to love you. And we start giving them human characteristics. Be very careful about that. Human life is unique. It's special. It's the image of God. That's why every person matters. Everybody matters. All human Absolutely matters. Secondly, humans reflect and represent God. Humans reflect and represent God. God has placed humans on this earth. He has placed you on this earth to reflect and represent him. We're to show the world who God is, and we're to represent him as we help manage and propagate his creation. You are his under-shepherd, his vice-regent, if you will. You are the one he has called to be in a place to represent him wherever you are. Do you realize that? What's the implication? You're the image of God. You represent him. You're not God, but you're to represent God's interest on this earth. And third, you make real moral and spiritual choices. We talked about earlier, right? The moral thinking.
human. None of, none of the animals do that. You make real spiritual and moral choices. It's so important that you do that. It's so important that you understand the value of being human. That God intentionally created his whole creation for human life to exist, for you to exist. How he created you is intentional. He loves you. He made you. He wants you to thrive. He's placed you here to represent him. But something happens. We'll talk about this in a few weeks, but humans went off the rails at some point, didn't they? God had this incredible design. But humans decided they didn't just want to represent God, they actually wanted to be God. They wanted to determine what they wanted to do and what they wanted to allow and to do things that God told them not to do. And so all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so there was a rupture. There was a a problem. There was a corruption of the relationship, the special relationship that God had with this crowning achievement of creation. And sin happened. But God wasn't done with that. He already knew this was going to happen. He wasn't surprised. And so God began to work on redemption right away. He wasn't, this isn't plan B because man couldn't keep my rules. Now I got to bring Jesus. No, he always intended to bring Jesus because he knew exactly what was going to happen. And he sent his son as a man, the word of God to go forward and to represent him and to pay the price for all humanity so that in creation God's greatness is demonstrated but in redemption his greatness is demonstrated even more because he loved his creation enough to die for it to extend it and he did it in such a way that all humans have to do really to take advantage of the price that Jesus paid would be to admit that we need it desperately I love that reality that Jesus paid my way back into a relationship with me. He paid my way back into the ability to be what I was created to be. But what about you? Are you being who God created you to be? What's in the way stands between you and God that you simply will not give up, that you simply will not trust him more. We often say here, the the role is not to try hard, it's to trust him more, it's to trust him with everything that I have. Say, God, you created me. You say, well, I don't know if God could solve this. Listen, this is the God that created you, that spoke all of creation into existence. He can solve your deepest living the life that you were created to live? Let me encourage you this morning. Know that you're created to live. Have that faith. Trust him with the life he created you to live. Trust him with it. Some of you may need to say, you know, I've never I've never admitted that I needed Jesus. I just kind of worked my way in, but the reality is I'm desperate for him. 
you ask Jesus to pay for your sins, the creator of the universe, have you asked him with all that stands between you and what he's created you to be? Would you be willing to say to him today, Jesus, I repent of my sin. I have done it wrong. I can never earn it. I'm asking you your price that you paid to count for me. Appropriate your blood for me, my great creator and my redeemer. Would you do that this morning? We have a creator of the universe saying, today is a special day for you. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. We do this in order to shut out the world. What has Jesus said to you? Has he touched your heart? Have you seen a vision of God that you may have never seen before? You've seen the greatness of a God who creates and a God who redeems. A God who actually makes sense logically and even scientifically. Trust him today. Some of you may need to say, Steve, I, I need to be baptized. I've, I've not made that commitment as an adult, that statement. Let's go to God. Heavenly Father, we praise you for your creation. It's incredible, Lord. It's incredible. We get to enjoy this incredible world, Lord. And we look forward to the new heaven and the new earth. But God, I pray for those who at this point, if they died today, wouldn't go to the new heaven and new earth. Uh, draw them to you, Lord. Help them receive your grace. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Stand with us as we close. Come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of
questions, Julie and I will be here. Love to chat with you. We don't convince here. Rather, we just try to interpret what God is already doing in your life. Don't forget to sign up, ladies, as you leave today for the uh, Women's Brunch on the 23rd. Love to have you be a part of that. If you need to talk about anything, baptism, following Jesus, love to chat with you. Let's pray. God, I praise you for these people that you have drawn here. You, Creator God, are active among us. Recreating hearts every day. God, we want to serve you. We want to bring you glory. And we want to help others enjoy following you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much. See you Wednesday night at 630.